With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Five, four, three, two, one. Folks, how are you tonight? Dr. Baranchak, Dr. John Baranchak here. Hello, Craig. Hello, Susan Lawrence. Hello, John Ayers. Unk, nice to see you, buddy. Charlotte J, nice to see you again. I appreciate all you guys, you return viewers, very much. I welcome any new viewers onto the show. Um, tonight's show is going to be part two on bias. Um, probably going to run into part three next week to get this whole thing wrapped up. We'll see how far we get tonight. It usually takes me about an hour and 15 minutes to an hour or an hour and a half to present this whole presentation as one may go a little slower. Hey, Eric, nice to see you, bud. Um, so we'll see how things go today. As always, um, feel free to chat in lowercase, ask questions in uppercase, a success um, squatch talk. Um, as, as well, feel free to subscribe. Feel free to hit the notification button and like all those things help us not only help me personally, but help the entire network. I think we've got a bang up network here. And 
again, if you haven't checked out any of our other um, Sasquatch or Bigfoot shows, please do. Um, I never fail to be impressed with the, the, the shows um, that I tune into to kind of learn from the pros. So um, we've got some really good Bigfoot shows going on on the Untold Radio Network. Um, hey, ASPA60, um, nice to see you here and taking the time and, I guess, staying up late to tune in. I really appreciate that. So to, to kind of move things along tonight, I'm, I'm going to tell a, uh, a story that I might have already told. I may have even told it in the, uh, the last episode on bias, just as part of an explanation. But it's a relatively short one, so it'll give us more time to get through some more slides. Um, I was recently on a uh, BFRO expedition. I had the honor of being invited by Lori Wade, who is just an awesome um, investigator and an awesome um, expedition leader. If you ever get the chance to go on a BFRO expedition with Lori Wade, um, I highly recommend it. She's not paying me for the plug. Um, a lot of my expeditions have been on her um, show, uh, on her, uh, under her leadership is really where I cut my teeth on Bigfoot. And so it, it just doesn't get any better than a BFRO expedition with Lori Wade. Um, and so just about three weeks ago, she invited me up there to do, in fact, the very talk that I'm doing now. And uh Craig, you saw Craig in there. Craig Roach and I went out the night bef the first night of the BFRO expedition, and then I attended the other nights of the expedition with the BFRO crew. And uh with my limited walking abilities, um Craig and I and my dog Hoss just kind of jumped into his car and uh kind of cruised around to some of his favorite spots because it just so happened where the, the BFRO expedition was. Craig lives about 45 minutes away. So it was awesome for me because I got to spend some time with him at the beginning of the expedition. And then we spent a few days together after the expedition and did some more scouting. We, boy, um, when we, when it was just him and I after the expedition, um, the first time ever that I went into a graveyard and had my camera drained, which was something else. I've, I've heard a lot about that, never experienced it. And then at the very next site we went to down the road from, from the graveyard, we heard, <laughs> we heard some, some. I don't know how to describe it, grunts, or I think I, I imitated it when I discussed it on the show, but we heard a bunch of them consecutively, and you know, pop, 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 pop. It, it, it didn't sound like pow, but I think f 14 grunts the first time and maybe five the second time. So it was, uh, it was incredible, those two things. Um, at that same spot, I got whistled out, and just a crystal clear whistle. 
it was so clear. I thought it had to be a human. We didn't see any humans. I'm considering the possibility that it might have been a Bigfoot. Uh, but on the first day of the expedition, Craig and I went out with Hoss, my dog, and we just kind of would pull up to some of his hot locations, spots that look good. And we pulled into this little cul-de-sac and backed up the kind of pulled in with our back, I think towards some water or land. I, I, I was sure it was water, but later on somebody made me question that. And we both rolled our windows down and just sat and listened. Um, and we heard some tree falls. And if you've ever heard a tree fall, the initial the initial pop or um, the initial fall before it begins to heat, hit other trees is positively explosive. It's like a bomb going off. And then um, other then of course the tree that fell falls into other trees. And that's pretty loud and impressive as well. Um, interestingly, and again, this is tying this back into perception and how we're hardwired for bias through perception, through our nervous system. Um, interestingly, we're sitting side by side in the car, you know, not two feet between us. Of course, uh, you know, did, did, did you hear that? Um, and yeah, yeah, of course. How could you not hear that? Well, I, I said to Craig, that's, that's gotta be, uh, two trees pushed over at the same time and falling and crashing into other trees. He said, no, I don't know. I, I think it was just one tree, but it was because it was so, he said it was like, boom, 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 boom. So we both agreed that we heard tree falls, but two feet between us, we both experienced them and perceived them in a different way. So our the point being our perception is subjective. We both experienced the same thing, but our perceptions were different. Well, that night, Craig left, and the following morning is when on a BFRO expedition, and Lori's BFRO expeditions, they do a debriefing where each group had taken notes on their experiences, and the note taker and some of the group members stand up in front of the group and explain what they heard. And I was listening to hear any other group reporting tree falls because when that happened we both turned around and looked behind us because it came from behind us and i saw i saw what i thought was a campfire reflecting on the lake and craig if we were not with a lake to our back please chime in there bud um and I listened and I listened. Somebody said, yeah, we heard one tree fall, 
and then four four um four shots from a gun nothing about what we experienced sounded like a gun so after everybody all the groups had gone i raised my hand and said well you know craig and i we heard um some tree falls either one or two um and i'm surprised no one else reported that or heard that they said one of the group members in the group that heard said oh yeah we reported it i said well what did you report we said they said, well, we heard a tree fall, and then we heard four gunshots, one after the other. Um, you know, who's right and who's wrong? Who can say? My point is, is that two people sitting right next together perceived it differently because of our perceptions and the biases that our perceptions led, led us to. And then a group of four or five other people nearby heard it, and they only heard one tree fall and um, four gunshots. So, in part, I, I talked about how our perception is informed by our life experience and our expectations and the context of the situation. And that, to me, is just an incredible example of that and how all four of us although we ex all experienced the same phenomena we perceived three different four different five depending on how many were in that group we perceived at least three different experiences from that tree those trees falling and that shows our bias so Last week, we talked about what I just talked about, how our bias is hardwired in through our nervous system. And we talked about um, something called confirmation bias, whereby we hear things that we channel into our previous experiences to help us make sense of things. Today, we're going to move on from confirmation bias and again, a, a more technical definition, tendency to look for information that supports rather than rejects one's preconceptions, typically by interpreting evidence to confirm existing beliefs while rejecting or ignoring conflicting data. It has the potential to run rampant in um, Bigfoot field research, and I think I just gave a pretty good example of that. Um, so the next topic we're going to talk about is investigator bias and demand characteristics. I'm going to start with demand characteristics. I first learned about demand characteristics, I think, in my high school psychology class. And it was framed to us as the foot in the door technique. A salesman back then, back in the old days, Back then, um, salesmen did door-to-door -door sales, and they were just doing cold calls. that No one would call and set an appointment. They just came pounding on your door. And the, the big idea for the salesman back then was to get in the house. Because getting in, the, whether you needed the product or not, that they were selling, 
getting into the house created something we'll talk about in a little bit, cognitive dissonance, this this imbalance between we don't want this product, but yet we're, we're here to um, um, we're here to listen. We're going to listen to this person anyways. Um, another way to reflect on demand characteristics, which is kind of embedded in the first example, but I got a better example, um, is that the situational and environmental variables pull for certain behaviors. And I think I talked about this last time, you know, when you, when I leave for a Bigfoot expedition, typically I dr drive a couple, three hours. I've got a habituation site 45 minutes from my house. Um, but all, you know, as I'm getting my trailer, as I'm packing up my truck, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about Bigfoot. As I drive those hours up to the, uh, the expedition site, I'm thinking about Bigfoot. I'm getting more excited. You get there, you see old friends, everybody's excited about going out and getting Bigfoot. Most people, I always am excited about the possibility of a, a Class A sighting that's on my bucket list, as it were. And so then you sit down, you go through an orientation, then you get ready to be divided up into groups after we have dinner. And groups of subgroups of people are sent out into the woods. So by that time, you're really amped and you're hoping to see a Bigfoot. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. But that situation creates a mindset where you're more likely to attribute the experiences you have to Bigfoot. Even after you try and debunk all the other possible things it could be, you're still tilted somewhat towards attributing that to Bigfoot. I forgot to take out my, let my cat and my dog out today. I apologize. Um, so that's demand characteristics, a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Investigator biases, we learn about our beliefs through other people. Whether, you know, especially when you're new to the, to the um, field and you haven't had any experiences, you're on that expedition with people who have been doing it for decades, typically. And so their beliefs, their biases, what they think is going on are passed on to you. And so that's what I mean by investor investigator bias, subtle communication cues from investigators through word emphasis, tone, manner, and gestures, and or assignment of tasks and responsibilities and queries of an expedition leader can lead you to self-fulfilling prophecies. And last week I told the lightning bug story. And that's also, you know, that's also, well, that's a good example of confirmation bias. 
But me writing that down as uh, mini orbs being absorbed into the ground at 1030, that response was one demand characteristics because it was literally demanded of me to do that. But that demand came from my investigator who had his own own bias. And so that's an example of investigator bias. Um, let's see if I, I, this is something I always forget to do. Yes, mindset, but I'm under the impression that's a psychosocial product or outcome. You could conceptualize it absolutely, Eric, as a psychosocial product, a psychosocial dynamic for sure. Um, as you know, well, the psycho part of it, you know, my bias comes from psychology and psychological science. But, you know, psychology is involved in the interactions. And that's exactly part of the biasing process itself. Good point, Eric. Um, next slide. This is one of my favorites because this is something I believe I came up with on my own. I never heard this when I studied bias before. I call it incredulity bias. And what got me to come up with this term was going to a, um, Jesus, what's the name of the conference? Um, Rocky Mountain? No, not Rocky Mountain. There's a big regional conference in a town in a mountainous town, and I'm also having a dementia moment and blocking on the name of the town, Gatlinburg, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And it's a pretty big conference. Five to 6,000 people show up to listen to, quote, expert presenters. And at the end of each conference, they have a question and answer period and all the expert panelists come up onto the stage and field questions spontaneously from the attendees. And somebody walked up, you, you walk up to a microphone and ask the panel or someone specifically on the panel, your question. And the person asked the entire panel, what are your thoughts on mind speak? And if you've tended, attended previous episodes, you've heard this story as well. Um, well, one of the one of the experts that I, I was least familiar with, he sits forward up and up forward in his chair, acts like he's concentrating, and puts puts his hand to his ear, and sits there in silence say for about 20 seconds and then he said did you get my answer and that got an appropriate laugh from the audience because of course many in the audience and many people in the community are real skeptical about telepathic communications between bigfoot and um humans so it got the appropriate laugh but it occurred to me that guy just kind of made a joke on a phenomena that is 
is somewhat prevalent in, in Bigfoot legend and lore because it was just so out of the realm of possibility based on his worldview that such a thing could happen. He had to kind of put it down and make a joke. And that kind of helped me form the idea of an incredulity bias, a belief or opinion driven by one's sense of righteous incredulity. In, in, you're incredulous. You give an incredulous answer. It is refusing to believe a concept or idea because it seems inconceivable based on your emotional reaction to it being beyond your con um, concept of consensus reality. It creates an incredulous reaction. What the, what the, what the hell are you talking about? There's no way that that could happen because it can't possibly be true because it's so far out of the realm of reality. I think this is a pretty important bias that we've got to guard against in Bigfoot. Um, you know, my bias is bringing science to the process and specifically psychological science um, so that we can get use numbers and statistics to get more definitive proof than we can get from an experiential expedition. Again, that's not me trashing experiential expeditions. We need them to help the scientists know where to shine the light. So we rely on each other. We need both scientific expeditions as well as experiential expeditions. But how could we be an objective scientist? How could I be an objective scientist and just dismiss that out of hand because it's just beyond my realm of what consists of reality. One of the biggest names, whose name I won't use, but you've probably read his books, you've probably seen his um, documentary, um, just refuses to entertain the possibility of phenomena, of paranormal or woo or whatever you call it. And the thing that's striking to me is that closed-minded attitude can be very deleterious, very dangerous to our Bigfoot research. Because think about back in the dark ages when you felt sick, you didn't feel good. Where did you go? You didn't go to the doctor. You went to the barber. The barber was the closest thing to a doctor. And the barber listened to your story. He might try and feel around or listen to certain parts of your body to test out your humorous, humor, humors, excuse me, not laughing humors, but these fluids that were believed to flow throughout our body. And the typical prescription would be bloodletting. You need a leech. Let's slap a leech on you and do some bloodletting. Well, somewhere during that time, and as, as science begin, began to get some traction, people discovered these things called germs and viruses. But of course, they only discovered them with the advent of the microscope. And not everybody and their mother got a chance to look for a microscope. And as a result, 
you know, dare you suggest that bloodletting isn't going to ha happen because it's a, it's a disease or an illness caused by a virus um, or some kind of germ. Well, there's no such things as germs. That can't possibly um, be the cause of it because if you if it was the cause, we'd be able to see it. Well, thank God science in advance, but think about the state that healthcare would be in um, if the, the prevailing idea that if you can't see it, it can't be real, it can't influence you prevailed. We, our, our medical community would be in a mess. And I think that's analogous to what a lot of scientists do when they out of hand through incredulity bias um, just kind of immediately dismiss it because there's just no possible way it could happen. Um, Jennifer Arnold's got an awesome question. Aren't a lot of people in the scientific community guilty of this? Yes, ma'am, there are. And interestingly, Eric, Eric Sell there, He's a friend of mine. We went to high school together and uh, we've recently reestablished our relationship when I, when I went home to see some friends and Eric has an awesome mind. And so about once a week, maybe every week and a half, two weeks, we get together over the phone or over texting and have these, these heavy, deep and real conversations. And I posted something about bias and science versus uh, experiential research that somebody took great umbrage with. They got very offended that I, I didn't suggest, I said that experiential research, seeing one in person, even a class A experience, is great proof. It's proof to you, the person who saw it, anybody else with you. It's proof to people who know you to be honest and believe your story. And it's proof to other people that have had that same experience. But that is not considered scientific proof. Those sightings boil down to what's called anecdotal data. And while anecdotal data, again, shines the light where the scientists need to uh, investigate, anecdotal da data to scientists is con considered the weakest form of evidence. That doesn't mean it's not proof, but it's not scientific proof. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And if you're like myself, your objective is to kind of scientifically or in some other way prove the existence of Bigfoot. And so Eric and I got into a discussion about, you know, science and he brought up that science itself is biased, which is a very valid point. Um, I think one unique thing about, about science is that statistics and experimental design are part of the scientific process, and those two things help us guard against our own personal biases. But if you follow the scientific method, Jennifer, and you must know something about it, asking such an awesome question, you come to the point eventually in the scientific method where you've got to interpret your data. And this is a big area in the sci- where in the scientific community, uh, our own personal bias or, incre- you know, if the results don't look right to us, Um, If they just seem infeasible to us, oftentimes people and the people being scientists try to explain away that data and that result in a different way, you know, um, minimize it, um, tie it into their own belief system, confirmation bias. So, yes, scientists are not immune to incredulity bias. But the reason I'm here promoting science is because there are other experimental design and statistical analysis protections against that. And again, not putting down an experiential expedition, but an experiential expedition doesn't have those protections set up because they're not doing an experiment and following all the way through to statistical analysis, repetition of the study, so on and so forth. They're not using the complete scientific method. Again, that doesn't make them worse and make scientific um, expeditions better. We need each other. The scientific community needs the experiential expeditions to have those experiences so that the scientific community needs can focus their experimentation on those phenomena. But so, yes, people in the scientific community are guilty of this. Absolutely. And I'm not sure whether you were here when I alluded to one of the biggest scientists in Bigfoot right now. He is a scientist and he just he just refuses to entertain any possibility of woo or paranormal paranormal activity associated with Bigfoot. I, for one, I'm striving to be as an obje- as objective of a scientist as I can, and I, for one, can't reject it, but I can't say it's true. 
And it's not because I disbelieve people's experiences that they've had that are woo or paranormal. It's because we haven't objectively identified it or proved it through using the scientific method to validate that that's going on. That's not dismissing or minimizing people's personal experiences. But if we're looking for proof, and in particular proof with Bigfoot, guess what? The scientists are the gatekeepers of that proof. I didn't set up the scientific standards. I don't personally guard the gate. But if you're going to gain acceptance, consensual acceptance through the mo out most of the world or most of the USA, it's got to be scientific proof. Experiential proof isn't going to do it. If experiential proof was going to do it, it would have been proved 30 to 60 years ago because we've been doing experiential research on Bigfoot more than 60 years. And look at what we got. We got the Patty video. We've got the, oh, there's another big video that general consensus is that it's real. I'm blocking on it. We've got footprints. We've got foot casts. You know, we have all the experiences going on an expedition. Um, we've got thousands and thousands of people who probably didn't have much thought given to Bigfoot. And they've had these Class A sightings. They just accidentally happen upon these creatures and they see them. And so all that, in my mind, and I think in a lot of other people's minds, should be enough proof for the proof of Bigfoot. But at some point, I'll do a show on types of evidence within the legal community and looking at how we can bridge that into the Bigfoot community. Um, but it's not scientific to the scientific community. That's not my fault. That's not your fault. But I will say, it doesn't do as much good to cook, kick and scream and dig our heels in saying, I had that experience, that's proof, that should be enough proof to the scientific community. It hasn't in 60 plus, 65 plus years, and that's not going to change in the future. Part of the reason I think psychologic science offers us an opportunity or is an alternate way towards going down the path of proof is psychological experimentation uses numbers and numbers are the language of science. So presenting the scientific community with numbers and outcomes that are numbers, um, I think will lend some credibility to um, Bigfoot's existence. Let me feel another question. I'm glad you guys are asking questions. So what would convince more scientists to investigate this short of a body? Short or sort? I'm not sure what you mean by short. But I think I just kind of answered that question. Um, you know, scientists, people who call themselves hard scientists, medicine, physics, I think, fits into that that area of a hard science, they think of themselves as hard scientists because 
their quote objective they deal with with facts and things you can see or touch except for the phys physics they use math the universal language to prove which they can't see or touch but they want numbers they want data they want concrete data and so that's part of what inspired me to write my book quick plug um psychological horizons in scientific bigfoot research available on amazon sometime in the future to come out and under a new title by doug highcheck's company hangar one publication entitled exactly what my my podcast here is it's going to be called grasping sasquatch but it all will basically have the same information in it that my original book did but it'll have qr codes so that it'll make it more interactive and experiential um i a aspa 60 i um you didn't have it in caps, um, but you're making a, a, a pretty important statement. And so I hope you don't mind if I put it up. Anecdotal evidence is some of the best evidence we have. If aspects of this evidence are woo, sounds, lights, etc., and remain immaterial, how does reductionistic material science measure that? Wow. You use psychological science. Eric, you don't have to lob me the, the softball question. Um, part of what's interesting and part of why I value psychology as and why I believe it's part of the answer to your question is because of psychologic, is psychologic science's ability to capture the intangible. Okay. Think about emotions. You know, we can quote measure emotions, but emotions are an internal state. You really can't know a person's internal state. All you can do is measure the behavioral and verbal phenomena that are generated from those feelings. So psychology has been able to quantify emotions that you really can't see, hear, touch the emotions internally of a person. You can, of course, hear and see and touch their external manifestations, but that's still not directly tapping into emotions. The same with intelligence. You know, you can see an intelligence person's work product you can hear it in their speech and their logic and reasoning but that's not their raw intelligence that's a manifestation of their intelligence and again psychology has able been able to capture that manifestation of intelligence measure it through iq tests and provide verification and objectification objectify it to a point that um, it can be measured. Last but not least example that I have is MRIs. The science of MRI um, 
films, in case you didn't know it, MRIs are not a see through your skull photograph of your brain. MRIs are it's MRI stands for magnetic resonance imaging, and they inject a mag magnetic dye into your system. And then the machine that they put you in is a big old magnet. And through a computer program, an image is developed of your brain back based on how your brain is metabolizing and it that the magnetic um, substance is processed through your brain. And that is what creates what looks like an image of your brain on an MRI film. But that's not an actual image of your brain. That's a computer-generated image of your brain. And I'm just following up with you and Eric. Great point. Reductionistic limits. Deductive reasoning should not preclude the value of inductive reasoning. I think, I think inductive and deductive reasoning are important, but I think also they're vulnerable to bias. Um, and anything that can be done to guard against bias, which is why I'm sitting here talking to y'all on this program. If you, if you come to understand bias and how it can occur, you can help yourself guard against it. Doesn't mean that you're going to always be successful in being um, unbiased, but it, it, uh, you know, it helps guard against it. Let's see if I can figure out how to take these, these things down. Um, there it is. Hide current comma. So moving on to more types of bias, man, I still haven't even got to the exciting stuff visually at least um let's see yeah one of the forms of bias that if you talk with anybody just about in the research community there's this process called anthropomorphism pomorphism um, where we attribute human characteristics or behavior of a god to an animal or an object. So be they objects, animals, gods, or demons, inter or interdimensional or not, anthropomorphism is going on. The most glaring example, and think about how many of you have either heard this said or said it yourself. Bigfoots are curious. How do we know that? Can we look inside their body and see their curiosity? No, we can't. Why we say Bigfoots are curious is they manifest behavior that humans associate with curiosity. But if you do a little research, thankfully, like I had to, <laughs> to write my book, again, BFRO and, and most 
researchers and investigators of Bigfoot, part of what you want to do is you want to rule out other possible explanations for the phenomena that you experience before you attribute it to Bigfoot. And we haven't studied any of these things. Stalking is going to make a Bigfoot look, look curious. Play, pursuit predation. They follow you. Boy, I can hear the footsteps following us as we're walking back to our car. They really must be curious about it. What if, in fact, they're following you back to your car because they want you for lunch? Ambush predation. And I don't think, unless I offend somebody, I don't think most Bigfoots are malevolent. I don't think they're out to get us. But these are instincts and these things are instinctual behaviors that influence Bigfoot's behavior, possibly, but influence other animals' behavior. And these things have to be considered before we start attributing curiosity to Bigfoot. And again, this is part of the, these are all phenomena that people see in other animals and possibly in Bigfoot. And again, this is where psychologic science can capture these phenomena and tease out whether it's an instinct or is it in fact curiosity, which is a higher intellectual process. Here's some other stuff. Guarding behavior, maternal instincts, submiss submissive behavior, aggressive behavior, denial, revenge, tribal loyalty. I never, honestly, before I did the research, I never thought of tribal loyalty or revenge as an instinct, let alone denial. Fear. And perhaps in this section of instincts, denial, revenge, tribal loyalty, aggression, fear, procreation, you know, we may not think of those instincts because they're common behaviors. Well, I don't know about tribal loyalty, a common behavior in our society. But if you think about if you think about politics and we're not getting into Republican or Democratic stuff, that could be a form of tribal loyalty. My point is that all these things represent instincts which are genetically hardwired behaviors in our body that enhance a species' ability to cope with vital, vital environmental contingencies without having to use intellectual reasoning that's involved in curiosity. Curiosity is a higher order intellectual process. It's not an instinct. You got to have some pretty good gray matter to be curious. We don't know what the Bigfoot's brain looks like. We don't know how much gray matter it has. Are these not likely, are these not likely or just as likely explanations for Bigfoot's behavior? But we attribute it to curiosity. Yep, Eric again. Instinct or proclivity, i.e. learned. Thank you. Um well, and again, instincts aren't learned. I do not believe instincts are hardwired into our body. We can learn from those instincts, but I don't believe 
that instincts and themselves are learned. John Ayers, Wayne, I want to get the new star here. Circle of friends or, or family could be tribal loyalty. Yes, exactly. Thank you for pulling my fat out of the fire there. That's a, uh, that's a good example. Now to find the take it off the screen button again. I don't know why that takes so long to pop up. We'll move on to the next slide. Maybe it'll pop up then. Earlier, I talked about cognitive dissonance. Um, criminy. What do I got to do to get that down? Sorry for my technical weakness here. A button should pop up to remove that comment. I don't know. It'll pop up sooner or later. Cognitive dissonance. Basically, it's an imbalance um, between two or more elements of our cognitive system. It's pre presumed to involve the heightened state of arousal and to have characteristics similar to physiologic drives. Cognitive dissonance, therefore, creates motivational drive in the individual to reduce it. Dissonance, another word for dissonance, could be um, conflict. We see something that we don't understand and we need to resolve it. That's cognitive dissonance. We strive to dissolve it. And come on, what do I got to do to get this off here? Um, come on, come on. Where's the remove? the comment button hmm go figure phd who um phd who <laughs> can't get a damn question off what, what was that anyways we'll muddle through as best as we can cognitive dissonance runs rampant in the Bigfoot field. Um, you hear a sound. What was that? Did you hear that? Was that a Bigfoot sound? Was that a Bigfoot smell? We wrestle, our mind wrestles with what was that? It creates this need. It creates this need to um, resolve that inconsistency in our brain or in our mind. We, we, that, you know, not understanding what it was, <laughs> not understanding what it was, um, pushes us to resolve and try and understand it. Um because our perception is informed and influenced by our life experiences, we don't all share the same life experiences. We don't all perceive things the same. Um, and therefore, we perceive things differently. We may resolve that cognitive 
dissonance differently from each other and our biases come in. Sometimes our biases are going to be correct. Sometimes they're not. Um, somebody just had a good question up. I'm sorry. I hope you guys don't mind if I'm bringing in your, your statements, even though they're not caps. How can there be bias when it comes to Sasquatch? We don't know them and they don't know us. Well, for those of us who are believers, the fact that we believe is bias in and of itself because it hasn't been a proven species. We hear these sounds that other people attribute to Sasquatch. We see a big footprint or a big foot cast that no human could possibly make. And that, un that evidence is disconcerting or unsettling to us. And so what, what do we attribute this evidence to? And so that's where cognitive dissonance, where bias enters into the program. If humans had no interest in Sasquatch, and never never began to explore Sasquatch, bias wouldn't be an issue. Sasquatch talk says, A.K. Bigfoot on the brain. Yes, very good answer. But that's where bias comes in because of the human presence in the Sasquatch field. Anyways... Um, any questions as I um, try and wait for that change, um, remove the slide thing to pop up again? I got to figure out how to provoke that on my own. Anybody have any other questions before we've got to sign off tonight? And again, this is, I'm not complaining about it going slower, but I please hope you'll keep coming back for more of this discussion as just a quick teaser. We're getting into what I think is some of the coolest stuff, after images, um, some visual phenomena that influence our perception, figure ground, um, pareidolia. We're going to look at pareidolia. And that, that to me is some of the most exciting stuff visually for sure and cool stuff. And we'll definitely be getting back to that in their next episode. Um, there it is. It just seems to mag magically appear. I wish I knew what I was doing to make it magically appear. Any questions in bold? Going once, going twice, gone. Okay. Well, thank you very much for attending this show. I hope you stew on it a little bit. I will say sometime this week on my personal page, John Baranchok, John, I'm going to be putting out a little incredulity bias exercise. We don't have the time we need to do it on the show, but just check in on my page. I'll publish it publicly and I'll publish it to friends. And it's just going to be a little exercise to test out where you draw the line when it comes to incredulity bias. Other than that, please subscribe, please like, um, spread the word if you think this is worthwhile content, and 
Yeah, maybe you'll have the wrench figured out next week, John. I think you got it handled, buddy. Anyways, I would like you, I wish you a, a good week. Remember to keep your mind open, your boots on the ground, and your heart with your higher self. Stay safe. If you're in, meet me here tonight Be brave and come along